So did you catch that phrase, the communion of saints? If you've said the Apostles' Creed a time or two, you've said that every single time. It's part of our historic creed and faith. When was the last time you had a discussion with somebody about the communion of the saints? Probably not recently, I guess. But it's a part of our faith. So what do we mean when we say that phrase, the communion of the saints? Our Catholic brothers and sisters write a lot about this. Uh, they believe that the communion of saints exists in three states of the church. They call it the church militant, which those here on earth, which includes you and I, the church penitent would be those who are in purgatory, those going through the process of purification as they await their fate. And then the last group would be the church triumphant, those already in heaven. Those of us who are Protestant, we tend to focus on the church militant and the church triumphant. We're not sure what to think about the church penitent. Catholics also differ from Protestants in believing that it's appropriate to pray to the saints for a blessing. Whereas most Protestants, we believe that Jesus Christ is the one true mediator, and we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to tend to our needs. But there is a mystery about this. You may not be aware that Catholic Church has over 10,000 saints that have been recognized through the ages that people pray to and through. As Methodists, we focus more upon the living and the dead. And here's how Katie Shockley, a United Methodist pastor, describes her belief in the communion of saints. And I invite you to read this along with me. I think it's rather beautiful. When we gather in worship, we praise God with believers we cannot see. When we celebrate Holy Communion, we feast with past, present, and future disciples of Christ. We experience the communion of the saints, the community of believers, living and dead. This faith community stretches beyond space and time. We commune with Christians around the world, believers who came before us, and believers who will come after us. We believe that the church is the communion of saints, and as a believer, you belong to the communion of saints. I love how that flows. But you know, it raises some practical questions. Is there a way that our loved ones who have passed on can assist us in this life? Exactly how does that happen? And don't expect me to fully explain that today, but I hope we point to that mystery. Uh, let me show you a little video that was taken at the reception of Courtney Cox Cole that we remembered today with a candle. She's the daughter of Dave and Jackie Cox, the sister of Monica Peck. And let me give you just a little background so this video will mean the most it can to you and appreciate the moment that it meant to the family. This video was taken at the reception at Harbor Trees Clubhouse that was held after the funeral that was held in this space. And at that reception, there was some wonderful memories shared. And then they enacted a tradition that Courtney had actually started some time ago at a charity event. And the tradition is to go out to the back of the clubhouse and tee up a ball and drive it and see if you can hit the water tower for Harbor Trees. Let me tell you, that's quite a drive. And Courtney was actually the only female who's ever accomplished that feat. So to relive that memory, the several gathered after that reception and teed up some balls and several attempted I understand a couple of the guys hit it and that included some college golfers made the attempt as well 
And uh, then the group decided to try to have Monica do that. Now, Monica has never accomplished that feat, and she tried to avoid it, but they just kept yelling, Monica, Monica, Monica. So she teed up a ball, and here's what happens. Everyone's looking away. We're not talking. Not talking. I don't know if he caught, but she turned around thinking she had missed it once again, and then bong, it went, and everybody went crazy. And I hope you noticed how Monica credited Courtney with giving her the power to hit that shot of her life. And let me tell you what that has meant to the family, because I've talked to fa several family members about that. For them, on that most difficult day, it was a sign that Courtney was with them in spirit. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Dave Redden mention that I've been in ministry for over 35 years, and I think he added up that I've done over 300 funerals, which is probably about right. And let me tell you, when you do that many funerals, you hear a lot of stories, a lot of stories that uh, may seem incredible, unbelievable, amazing, but I've heard way too many to dismiss them as just coincidence or just hopeful thinking. I remember the funeral of one of our nobles' little first children here that I attended, and they shared a story of how that person loved hummingbirds, and amazingly, the sister of that, that person that had passed away had in her home a hummingbird that just flew in the day after his death. That was a very special moment for her in a sign. I've also heard people talk about, in the middle of the night, being woke up by a rush of wind under their cheek, and when they turned and looked at their clock beside their bed, they noted the time and went back to sleep. And then later, a few hours later, they discovered that the exact time that her father had passed away was the time that she looked at that clock. Well, I could tell you many, many more stories, especially in those days and weeks and months that follow the death of someone it's hard to deny that there is some kind of connection between this life and the next. And I leave it to you to make the decision of what you think is reality, but certainly there seems to be something there. There is some kind of communion of the saints. Let me give you some biblical material to chew on. If you turn to Apostle Paul, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 as well as Romans 12, he talks about the body of Christ, right? talks about how each of us are individually a part of it, and Christ is the head. And those who believe in the communion of saints believe that that's a part of the body of Christ, both living and of the dead, that we are all connected. Remember the story of the transfiguration of Jesus when he, near the end of his ministry, took Peter and James and John up on a mountain, and he was transfigured, became ghost-like in front of them, and appeared beside him was Moses and Elijah. 
Now, some scholars tell us that the purpose of that story is to communicate that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, which Moses represents, and the prophets, which Elijah represents. But still others wonder if this is pointing to the reality of the, the dead coming back to assist the living. In our faith first, you also find a couple of scriptures mentioned in the book of Revelation, which is a difficult book to understand, full of symbolism. But one thing, if you read the book of Revelation, you discover there's this flow, and it talks about in symbolic language about what's happening in the persecutions of the church on earth, and then it'll quickly shoot up to heaven and show that there's a heavenly reality that God has things under control, and then it comes back down on earth. So I invite you to read chapters 5 and chapters 8 of the book of Revelation, and you'll see described that the prayers of the saints who are referred to as those here on earth experiencing persecution, that their prayers are rising up like incense. And then it describes in these symbolic scenes that the angels in heaven take the fire from the altar of God and combine it with that incense, and they throw it down on earth that brings action and impact. We have to be careful drawing conclusions too definitely, especially from the book of Revelation but they all point to the reality that our prayers are heard, not just by God, but by those who are in the heavenly realm. So let me tell you what I do know. I do know that the Apostles' Creed that we read this morning was written in 390 AD. That came right after a period of intense persecution before Christianity was accepted and then became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so there were many who had fresh in their memories, those who had been martyred, those who gave their life on behalf of the cause of Jesus Christ. In some special way, they found in that memory a power that they needed, the courage to face the challenges of their day. I also know that many people are comforted by talking to their loved ones. I remember someone from my last congregation. I was out doing a committal service at a cemetery on the east side of Indianapolis, and I noticed that she was standing at the mausoleum. Her husband was encrypted in a tomb just about three rows up. And afterwards, I went and talked to her, and I learned that she did this every Friday since he passed away, every single week. She said she found comfort in talking to them. I read in a blog this week by Randy Alcor, something I thought was helpful. He was trying to answer the question, if we can or should we talk to our loved ones in heaven? And it reminded us that in Deuteronomy 18, it warns us against using mediums to communicate with the dead. And I liked his advice. He said there's a difference between talking and praying. There's nothing wrong with talking or feeling connected to our loved ones, but make sure you direct your prayers to God. And sometimes people do confuse the two. And I can't help, maybe this is selfish, but I hope that when I die and go to heaven, I've got a lot more fun things to do in heaven than worrying about what's happening down here on earth. And the mess is here, right? My God is big enough and personal enough to tend to the concerns of those who are still here on earth. So let's be careful about how we talk about the communion of the saints. We don't want to give human beings the qualities that belong only to God. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who is able to pray for us and God knows us so well that the hairs of our head are numbered. But I do know on this day, this 
All Saints Day, that I'm going to take time to be thankful, to share with God my appreciation for the people who have instilled faith in my life. I'm going to think of my father who somehow, in spite of all the challenges in our home, got us to church each and every Sunday, and what a blessing that has been for me. I'm going to think of Bill Davidson down in my church in New Albany, who was a man of such integrity. He instilled in me the importance of integrity. I'm going to think of Don Walsh, who I walked through through a crazy journey with brain cancer, and I walked watched as he seemed to have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. And ever since I've done that journey, I am not afraid of the next life. I know there is a next life. I'm going to think of Bill Hines, who every Sunday would greet me at Plainfield United Methodist Church with the biggest handshake when I was growing up and say, how's Jerry doing? He made me want to come to church each week. And I think about Steve Springer, who did a similar kind of work at the 8.30 service every Sunday here at Noblesville First. I'm going to think of Jerry Larrison. Oh, boy, could he tell stories. I could listen to him all day, especially when we talked about basketball. And I'm going to think of Bill Douthat, who always shared great wisdom and great generosity, and many, many more. Who are the saints in your life? Who are the people who have instilled that faith in you? And then ask the question if perhaps you might be called by God to become someone else's saint, someone else who will look to and remember you for the faith that you've helped instill in them. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you on this day and all the saints who have gone before us. We're grateful. We don't expect them to be perfect, but somehow you use them to put something within us and that thing is still very much alive in us. So for all that, we're very, very grateful, and we thank you for that blessing. Bless those who are, especially now in this time, still grieving, still mourning, still recalling the loss that they've experienced. Comfort them with your Holy Spirit. Give them the strength they need. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life. It is our hope, our trust. But no matter what we face in this life, we look to something greater, something we can hope for. All this we ask in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.